You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Zach Sussman writes for Punch, the hippest digital magazine that covers food, beverage, and culture. I am a lucky man today. I get to hang out with Zach Sussman. Zach is here. He's a wine columnist for Punch, uh, an online digital magazine that uh, covers all things wine, food, culture. It's definitely, I think, a kind of a one of the coolest things out there to read about our business. But also, if you're not a super wine geek, you still get it. You've written some amazing columns. You've done also Bon Appetit in the Wall Street Journal. You have a book coming out. We'll get to that. But thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. a pleasure. Um, so you wrote a great article called Wine Doesn't Make Itself. And right. uh, we'll talk about that just for a second because you and I have been doing this for a very long time and you, we meet winemakers. Right. And uh, people love to say, you know, particularly in the natural wine movement, that, oh, you know, you, I do nothing to this wine. It just, you know, you have a good vineyard site and you just leave it alone. It's non-interventionalist and this is what comes out and this is really great. And everything else is kind of bullshit. Um, and the point of your article, which I liked, was like, well, that's actually a bunch of horseshit. Yeah, it, is. it kind of is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because obviously, you know, great winemakers who make even what would be considered natural wines, also Lapierre and Morgone, and I could name, you know, as you say, in the Loire Valley. Uh, you know, I mean, there's rigor and hard work to overseeing what gets done. We get the idea of non-interventionalist wine, but still there's things you have to like be conscious of correct yeah it's it's a lot of hard work to do nothing mm -hmm. yeah right it, exactly so what do you think uh of the, is that a blanket statement that protects a lot of shitty wine that makes it out into the market oh we're getting really controversial really quickly here oh okay um, <laughs> i'm not asking to name names of wineries unless no, you want to no i mean but that's the way i see it i see it as like i totally I have to, uh, right so. no I, I totally agree with you i mean um there's a lot of flawed wine out there that uh, wears the banner of, of natural and kind of spoils it for the people who are super rigorous, super meticulous, um, and who are like making uh, like incredible, extraordinary expressions of their land. Mm -hmm. um, like you don't get a sense of place when the wine is mousy. You don't get a sense of place when it's bacterially flawed. Um, I mean, this is like, I think it's the heart of like a kind of a big controversy in the wine world. There's a lot of sure. polarization around this. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I do think that this, we let the wine make it. It's, it's sort of just like, um, on the one hand, I can see how it's sort of a romantic way to talk about what you do. It's, it's a lot sexier than talking about like, you know, the nitty gritty details of winemaking, which are very boring to most people outside of the industry. Sure, right. A lot, a lot of it's chemistry. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And like, you don't want to, you know, whatever like all those those technical details like your average wine consumer is not going to want to like listen to you rhapsodize about that right. so you know i can understand being a winemaker and wanting to um you know kind of present this image and i think even the great ones do that too you know sure. kind of tongue-in-cheek in a way um but then when you actually like get down to the nuts and bolts and start asking like how is this wine made and about like actually what are you doing why are you doing it and even if you're like choosing not to do something well why are you deciding not to do it and when not to do it like right. it's just like a lot of attention and reaction um and 
yeah and and i think that just to say oh yeah the wine makes itself i mean it's to undermine like actually the rigor and the hard work that goes into making really great wine right which i think is brilliant because um somebody like steve matthyson's been on the show and right. other winemakers and you know they 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 don't wear it on their sleeve they're you know they're in t-shirts and jeans and they'll but if they have to i've been at uh, tastings where some you know, MS candidate who thinks he knows everything is all of a sudden going, well, you know, it seems like at this pH, the wine wouldn't have this balance. And then you see, you know, the winemaker pull out totally. his sword and just slice and decapitate. And like, you realize, look, he knows 10 times what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's here really not to talk about the it, the the nitty gritty, the chemistry of the wine. He's here to right. talk about yeah, the, the place, the terroir, everything else that makes the wine great. Yeah. And like, it requires a lot of knowledge and experience in order to really get out of the way and let the terroir come through mm-hmm. um if that makes sense yeah like because you're, you're just you don't want to can i curse on this podcast sure you can't you don't want to fuck your wine up right yeah a- exactly well that's what i i always say because you know there are these small farmers that make you know a thousand two thousand cases and some 800 cases right um you know, when they have hail or they have, you know, problems, uh, particularly in Loire Valley, but even you know, every, you know, wine region has it, um, sometimes you have to step in and use a graceful hand sure. uh, so that you have a product to sell, otherwise your children don't eat. Now, if, all of the, <laughs> if you're listening to that and that was your decision, like, okay, I'm making zero money this year unless I step in and do something. And not nothing crazy. You know, maybe they're putting a little bit more sulfur than they would or... Yeah, something, right? But yeah, like, I'm not afraid ha- of a little sulfur. Like, yeah. I'd rather have a little extra sulfur than. Well, no, I mean, look, it's just, it's just, it's much harder to make a wine without the addition of sulfur. Like, sure. you have to be meticulous in your cellar hygiene. Like, it's hard, right? And not everybody has the skills and the experience to do that. And I mean, I, I can already like um, envision all of the natural. Like I love natural wine. I'm a natural wine fan. Like I grew up with natural wine. Right. But I sort of feel like at a certain point, oh, I can just like imagine like all the the the, the like hordes of people that are gonna be upset if they're listening to this. But right. like at a certain point, you taste a lot of wine and you develop your own palate and you kind of realize like what wine is not well not supposed to be, but mm-hmm. um, like what flaws are and i guess that's there's like a gray area you know like you know a little brett don't mind it right but like you you develop i guess you develop your own your own palate Mm -hmm. um and those things that like for example i remember when i was first getting into because this is ultimately a conversation about natural wine right that we're having some of it yeah for sure yeah when you get to your book and right no i mean not this larger conversation but this question oh yeah sure yeah it's like a really question about natural wine and i feel like i grew up or not grew up but i got into wine sort of right during the rise of natural wine mm-hmm. um like that was the ethos that i inherited and i remember tasting a lot of wines that were like the funkier the more bready the more barnyard like that was what i thought was authentic right um and you know like it was about being anti-mainstream like mm-hmm. you know everybody thought wine was going to go this way of parker and all these small vignerons are going to you know be out of a job um right. and so you know to like align yourself with that ideology it I mean, those are still my beliefs, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of those wines, like, I, don't, I wouldn't really want to drink a lot of them, sure, or not a lot of them, but some of them now. Like, I feel like you just become more, dis- what I'm trying to say is you become more discriminating and like you realize like w- when you taste classic wines and when you taste wines that like really are just beautiful expressions of terroir, right. Right. like 
you don't you don't want stuff getting in the way of that if that makes sense no it 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 yeah. it, it, it totally makes sense to me i'm uh thinking that uh to the earlier comment of that uh, idea that um, there's a level of forgiveness, a level of forgiveness with natural wine. Right. Like uh, there are restaurants that uh, I've been in and, and the, the wine will smell and taste like nail polish remover, which is volatile acidity. Yeah, and I'll exactly. say, you know, this wine is, um, I'm sorry, I can, I can, I, can I try something else? And, and they're like, what's wrong? And like, there's nothing wrong. It's just like, I think the VA, the volatile acidity is right. too high for me. And really I'm, th I'm thinking the wine is just totally fucked up. But, and, and is the, the wink is like, oh, you don't understand the wine. You don't get it. Mm, okay. I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't get right. it. I actually like natural wine. I do too. I love it. Some and of my I, favorite yes, wines are natural exactly. wines. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, no, you're missing the point. But this blanket and level of forgiveness for garbage, a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree like, with that. Yeah. And that's the problem because, you know, people assume, you know, cause I'm a little older that like, oh, this fucking guy's just going to hate natural wine quite the contrary right. i actually love it and drink a lot of it but it still has to be made well yeah and uh, i guess what my point was i um sort of above the generation that came of age with natural wine mm -hmm. and i've I found more and more that as i become more on um as i understand wine better I, I and my uh palate kind of evolves like i'm just more discriminating about mm -hmm. the natural wines that i think are good and those that i think aren't so good right um, but like to your point about a little volatile acidity, like it's always a threshold, right? And sure. there's, and at a certain point, it's just a personal like preference. Like some wines that I adore have like pretty prominent brett or volatile acidity. I'm thinking right. of like Paola Bea in, in Umbria. Umbria, like, yeah, for sure. So Nebbiolo has a kind of natural yeah. volatile acidity to it, but in a small amount, it lifts, it, it lifts the aromatics exactly. and it's beautiful. Yeah, right? especially if you're in a, like a warmer climate where you might not be getting as much you know natural acidity or whatever, like some of that volatile acidity. Mm -hmm. Can like brighten up the wine and kind of make right. it more enjoyable. Right. What's What's uh, crazy to me is the uh, how politicized it's become, and it's it really is nuts to me. And I see guys who are like thirty years old who say, "I fucking hate natural wine." It's like it's it's like presuming I'm a racist and dropping the end bob on me. That's what I feel like. You're like, they, and they assume them to go, "Yeah, it's all fucking garbage." I'm like. I think, how is your mind this closed at this age that you cannot sit back and just appreciate or understand what's going on in this wine? Because it's not a flawed, fucked up wine. It's a good wine. But there's a political, you know, right and left here. And you see it a lot. You see it in, uh, well, you write. So you right. see it all the time. Did you catch shit for your article? You know, I was actually surprised um, by the positive uh, response that I got, mm -hmm. even from like pretty uh, vocal natural wine people. Mm -hmm. Because I think I am like one of those people like those sure. are those are my essential fundamental beliefs like i right. don't want my wine to be tim tampered with or tinkered with right. like you want a true authentic expression of place um and it's just you know a question of um how you get there i guess right. yeah yeah um what, what drives me is just how uh, political wine has become because i sure always has. thought the playing field should be about like uh, there's nobody in this room. I don't know the winemaker. It's in a black glass. I'm going to drink the wine in a black glass so I can't see it and decide whether I like this wine. The flip is happening now. There's stuff happening culturally uh, with all these movements. I actually saw some post. True. Um, buy wine from women winemakers. Uh, there's enough white men making wine. And this is from a pretty, you know, big song. And I'm, I'm reading that like... What the fuck are we talking about here anymore? So if you have a a, my, a wine made by a woman brought in by a, a male import company, like where does, where do you, when you start to slice down like that, can't we just get back to, is this good wine? But you see this. 
Well, that's a whole other question because right. you're talking about like gender politics right. and. Um, but that's how. So the scope has widened in the uh, in politics. It's not just about I like this, you don't like this. Now it's like who's making the wine. It's turned into gender politics, and it's happening. Yeah, but I, I like I actually maybe beg to differ somewhat mm-hmm. because I think we can have a question about like aesthetics of what makes wine great. I do think that wine is a cultural product, and like I think it's important to be having conversation a conversation about. Um, you know how this industry is represented mm-hmm. um, yeah so I don't I, I think that it's important to have those kinds of cultural and political conversations about wine and about the industry I think it's oh, yeah. I, don't get me wrong I think it's great to have the conversations about the industry and what's going on in the industry but like at the end of the day consumers myself you I mean like at a restaurant I don't I just want the best wine that I can taste right and all the other stuff is kind of like interesting inf- information it's it's like uh, you know it it's it's like the Michael Jackson thing, you know. People, like, I can't listen to his music anymore. If we start to pick apart artists, right? Poets. We were talking about um, uh, Wendell Berry earlier, right? Because you're a poet, or, or, or you're I a was. writer. I right. did an MFA right. in poetry, but that, um, uh, and I currently work in the creative writing program at NYU. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, are you going to throw T. S. Eliot because he was an anti-Semite? No, but I think you can reevaluate his work in, sure. in light of that fact. Agreed. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I mean, I don't want to drill down that much. I just need to, you know, humans are flawed. For sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like I, I, wine is a social product. It's a cultural product and mm-hmm. it's definitely informed by um, culture and society. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and I think you, like we're drinking this wine actually as we speak, um, from from Chile, right? Right. Um, so Actually, like, let's talk about this one. Yeah. So this is uh, Mauricio Gonzalez. Right. Uh, makes this in uh, BOBO in, uh, in Chile, which, by the way, we'll talk about these looming tariffs would be a place that people oh, are going to start to go to, right? But this is Pais, which is a super old uh, varietal. And it's uh, you. It's so funny because uh, Zach and I were tasting wine right before we hit record. And he goes, yeah, this is probably from like 150-year-old vines. And I'm like... Holy shit! Oh, spot it actually on. is 150 yeah. year old vines. I was trying to be hyperbolic because I just yeah, yeah but actually it's true. And 200 year old vineyard site, and done in these old Rowley, which is like a kind of a chestnut tree. They do these open top right. barrels, and they do some tinaja, tinajas, which are like uh, amphora clay pots. But this is all hand harvest. It's a husband and wife team. Right. That's it. And sometimes they have one intern. So this is a small kind of farmer you you want to just kind of yeah embrace. But the wines are like beautiful it's, it's it's like cranberry it reminds me of beaujolais it reminds me of like mancia it reminds me of like yeah they're more savory uh it's really delicious mm-hmm. yeah and i mean that like papeno is such a cool story um because like i don't know this is also going back to wine as sort of the political and, and cultural dimension of wine but like we haven't had really like an indigenous wine expression from south america before it was a lot of imitating france it was a lot of uh, like in Chile, I guess, you know, they've sort of done it all. Like, I guess Carmenere was supposed to be a thing at one point. Yeah. There's Cabernet. There's some actually pretty interesting Pinot Noir. But, like, we actually have now, thanks to this sort of the, the way this farmer's wine has been kind of reclaimed by natural wine, mm-hmm. um, like an example of, an in, as, I guess, as close as it comes to being an indigenous expression right. of um, I didn't think about of, that. Of that right. country, right? Like, yeah. it, this has offered the world the first, ex- really what I can think of as the first example of that. I mean, I guess the grape, like, was brought over by missionaries in, like, what, like the 1500s? Yeah. But, like, if you think of, 
like Bordeaux was classified in 1855. Like, I think mm-hmm. we can call this like uh, an indigenous grape to Chile at this yeah, point. Yeah, right? I, I would say so. Yeah, because if you think of most people think of Chilean inexpensive Sauvignon Blanc right. cap, and they do some good stuff, but it's just, you know, it's on the flatlands of Chile, Europe, you can grow like uh, the, the volume you can get, 50,000, right. 75,000 cases. This is 800 case production. So this is where we're going to be going. I yeah. think our, our, our wine taste and our particularly, so these looming tariffs that we're going to find out about the 15th, which will, everyone in this business is talking about, it will yeah. just devastate our, our business. Uh, and we'll have to readjust and figure we'll be hunting down more stuff like this. Well, let's hope it doesn't happen because it's going to be know. awful. It's, 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 uh, it's pretty crazy. I had Will Sugarman on, and we were talking uh, about uh, the 25% tariff and how that was crushing people and the 100% coming down the pike. Um, we'll literally put tons of people we know and small importers that have been importing wine for 15 years out of business. They will have to close up shop. Yep. And that's really just sad because these are the guys who are ferreting out, ferreting out little, small 800-case productions because bigger companies don't really give a shit. They're just, you know. They're looking for something that has has to have X amount of production because they have to throw it around every state and it has to have national distribution right. for it to be worth their GP because right. their their gross profit. That's all it's about. Right. And what any of this has to do with Boeing is beyond me and mm-hmm. anyone else for that matter. No, I know. In the uh, one of the last podcasts, I said the crazy thing is Airbus is here in the U.S. They could have very, very easy just levied unbelievable taxes on any part coming into the country to go right at that industry and did the same thing to Google and Facebook and the tech part of this problem. Right. But no, instead they're going to go after small farmers, small imports. I mean, small businesses are the backbone of this economy 100%. And, and take these people down. And that is bullshit. I uh, could not agree with you more. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about your book. What's, uh, okay, yeah. what's the book? So what, tell, tell us the title of the book and you know, what's, what's about, and you've been writing this for yeah, I'm still like uh, kind of um, in PTSD from the process. Of okay. writing. I, it was a okay. pleasure to write, honestly, yeah. but um, uh, I, like I literally just sent it to the publisher. So it's not coming out for a while. I think it comes out in October of 2020. Okay. Um, but um, it's going to be called uh, The Essential Wine Book, A Modern Guide to the Changing World of Wine. I'm, I'm writing it um, with Punch in mm-hmm. collaboration with 10 Speed Press. Right. 10 Speed Press will be the publisher, um, and they sort of contract out a bunch of books per year with Punch. Okay. Um, so this will be one of those. There was like the Essential Bar book and the Essential Cocktail book, I believe. So now this will be the Essential Wine book. Oh, that's very yeah. cool. And how did you get anointed to uh, to write this? They asked me to do it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, uh, if people log on to, uh, well, if they can log on to uh, Zachary Sussman. ZacharySussmanWine.com. Wine.com and see everything you've written. It's, the, it's yes. quite a... Uh, it's quite a, uh, you know, I don't know how many articles are on there. There's a bunch now, now yeah. Right. Although I, I haven't really um, posted any, like, I haven't published anything on Punch and Walk because I've been just writing this book kind of in hibernation for a year. So I'm excited to, to kind of get back uh, into article writing. But, oh, cool. Yeah. And so what what's the subject of the book? I mean, like, where, where do you go? Yeah. And, like, well, so like the keyword is like essential, the essential mm-hmm. wine book. So right. really like the, it was a very daunting prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, like basically, it it's covering the entire world, like the entire globe. That's a big place. And trying yeah. to distill like, what do you need to know? What's essential to know in order to be kind of wine literate and wine savvy today at a time when wine has like evolved so dramatically um, in such a short period of time. We have wines yeah. from places where we never like had one before. Like mm-hmm. the old hierarchies of taste have been dismantled. Like it used to just be a few benchmark reference points, right? Like if sure. you would go to a 
a restaurant and you would look at the wine list. I mean, this is maybe like 30, 40 years ago. I, right. Not that I was alive 40 years ago, so uh-huh. I, what I've been told. All right. Um, but like, you know, the great benchmarks were like Bordeaux, Burgundy. Um, you have Tuscany, maybe you have Piemonte. I guess right. the Rhone was like, like the cool up and comer. Right. Um, and maybe you had some California wine. And now it's this influx of wines from everywhere and all of these uh, regions that had been like making just kind of cooperative plonk, rediscovering all these old wines. Like we've just had this renaissance of wine. And actually going back to the tariffs, I mean, it's just like so disheartening because I feel like we really are right now in this golden age of, um, of wine consumption. Like it's just extraordinary what we have access to. Sure. And Americans um, now are drinking more fine wine than anyone in the world. So right. that in 30 years has flipped the triangle. Now we're, 100%. Now we're the searchers and the seekers and right. finding out the really cool stuff yeah. in this country, which is great. Right. So, so we're at this, like, this moment of like, an extraordinary uh, diversity and variety, and that's great, but it's also harder than ever to like, really understand what you're drinking. Like you, you can go into a restaurant, we're in like, downtown Manhattan, you'll see orange wine, you'll see pet nat, you'll see natural wines. There are all of these like, aesthetics and ideologies. You're like what the heck is Mencia and what like Galicia you were talking about yeah. like how do you make sense of all of this so basically like what I was what the book is trying to do is to kind of just give like a Cliff's Notes guide to what matters and what's relevant and to provide a kind of cultural context for like the whole thing so that you can basically talk about and navigate the world of, hmm. of wine sort of today what's your favorite book now as far as regards to like a, an ABC of wines I mean I know Karen McNeil wrote the wine bible I oh mean, man that's a really good question. The Have one, you picked yeah. up? She's, it's really, Kevin Zarelli's book is, yeah. it's, I don't know, thousands re- printing, and he's amazing yeah. the way he breaks it down. Very simple. I really like the Wine Bible. I yeah. think it's like really accessible, but mm-hmm. also um, very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Is yours also like travelogue and wine, or is it just no, getting honestly, right to so the... Like, the real big question is like, so what actually is essential? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that I would like to write about that I wasn't able to. Like, I love wines from the southwest of France, like Jurançon, right? those types, like, you know. Maderon. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Irulgi, or I yeah, don't yeah. know if I'm pronouncing that yeah. right. But yeah. like, you know, like maybe that, you know, like in a book of only so many words, you can't really cover every last mm-hmm. thing. Um, so it was really just a question of like, just like, okay, what's essential about Portuguese wine? Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so what is like, and then maybe it's like, the cool stuff that's happening in the Douro, like there's really cool wine in Vino Verde, Bayrata is kind of happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe the Dow, but like you can't, you just can't cover everything. So yeah. that was really, that was really the challenge. Um, so like, this book can't be a wine bible. Mm. It's like it's sort of trying to target a middle ground between the really goes down easy stuff, mm-hmm. like wine for dummy stuff, and right. the like atlases and wine bibles and the big tomes. So something that you know, like your average person will be able to read and then go have a conversation with sommelier at, or like go to a dinner party and like be informed. Or as I always say uh, to people who listen, like find stuff that you love to exactly. drink and then just keep going to your favorite store. And if they don't have it, go yep. to another store and just keep finding stuff. And they, it just the connective tissue of like, well, I like Pinot. Or someone says, well, you should try Mencia. Oh, exactly. Genetically reasonably close, same tannin structure right. kind of thing, but more savory. And that's the way that just kind of balloons out. People said, how do I learn about wine? I said, well, I did travel, but like, I just drink wine. Yeah, no, you learn about wine by drinking yeah. it and just paying attention to oh. what you're drinking. And so it took you a year to write the book? A little over a year. 
yeah uh photos did, did all that kind of stuff it's all like it? honestly it's like it's all still in pro like, i literally like just hit send on the manuscript uh what's today like the third and today the third or the second the third yeah like bo just before christmas so did you get up and like dance and like do a shot of tequila or i just like took a nap <laughs> i took a nap and um and i went to um actually to uh switzerland for the holidays my wife uh my wife's family's there so we spent some time in geneva which was really nice oh that's gorgeous yeah, yeah. so were you there for the fireworks on uh, new year's eve don't no, they do a huge firework no we weren't we were geneva? no we were, we were actually um <laughs> in milan over new year's but mm -hmm. missed the fireworks yeah okay um so the book comes out in the meantime now you go back to article writing yeah, well, so I'm supposed to write a second book, actually, about sparkling wine that I, frankly, like, haven't even, I don't have the bandwidth to even think about quite yet, but right. um, but that's the next thing, yeah. So, since you just wrote this book, let's right. talk about, uh, wintertime is here, we're going to go right. into January, it's going to be, like, sub-zero. Uh, give us some, like, reds that people listening uh, should try to find or, like, enter while they're, into While their... they're still here pre-tariff. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, like, aside from, I guess, the obvious ones, um... Yeah, so I basically spent the last year just like drinking wines from all over and drinking wines from right. places that I wouldn't normally be drinking wine. Um, and the things that I guess are just sort of sticking out of my head of things like that I want to keep coming back to, like I love Portuguese red wine. Like Portugal, I think is so untapped and undervalued. There's so much cool stuff you can find, like Bayrada, Bayrada, uh, Alvarello, like yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah, uh, and then also just like the incredible uh, kind of. Alt Duro thing that's happening, mm -hmm. with, like the reclamation, rediscovery of these high altitude vineyards that were mm -hmm. never great for port, but make really beautiful dry yeah. table wines that kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm like, kind of uh, defy that sort of expectations of what Portuguese wine is supposed to be. Like they're delicate, they're beautiful, they're yeah, perfumed. Like yeah, some of them yeah. are like cab-like because they yep. have the heat. Right, there's power, but there's really elegance. Yeah, uh, the whites that come right the off the Atlantic awesome coast. Too. I mean, yeah. they're just insane. So yeah, so Portugal is a high point, and then I've just been really into um, Alpine wines, like mm. all of the Alpine wine regions, whether it's um, you know Valdosta. Valdosta is awesome. Yeah, these yeah. wines are amazing. Valtellina. Um, Valtellina. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like just that that purity, right. um, delicacy, but there's still like structure there. Yeah, um, and I've been really into Savoie too yeah yeah so. for the reds but also the, the whites which are actually great winter whites as mm. well yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, any particular producer you're like people should hunt down that you like in w in which in, in one of your like favorite like if in Valtellina is it Sandra Fai is it uh, I mean you know it's like it's what we get it's like yeah. our, obviously it's like our Pepe there's, yeah. there's, there's there's like the usual the usual folks I like Lagrine yeah, me too. For for winter time, that's the grape, and it's like inky, and it has yep. bloody meaty. Uh, meaty. It's, it's like just... alpine kind of Syrah with like this yeah. feral kind of edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 totally uh, yep. totally. Uh, Nusserhof's really good. Yeah, I'm sure this. Oh the, yeah, Nusserhof's a great producer. Yeah. I'm sure there's some very good producers in the yeah. T. Edward portfolio as well. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah. By the yeah, and uh, uh, Mauricio's wines are from T. Edward wines. Uh, they bring a lot of really cool uh, wines. So uh, let's go. Uh, Wine trends that you love that's happening now and wine something that drives you nuts about the wine world right now? The thing that drives me nuts is... Um, Probably like, shit we just talked about. <laughs> well, yeah, there's yeah. definitely yeah. some of that, but like maybe uh, an offshoot of that is like the Instagramification and unicornification of wine. Like, yeah. it's awesome that we're elevating all of these, you know, kind of wines that were once kind of rustic country wines. Mm -hmm. Um, and discovering the merit in them, but like, it's kind of also like obnoxious, 
um, with like the posturing it's, and the, it's kind of that, piggish like, you know right? what actually yeah. allocated yeah. allocation right. like just the exclusivity um, that it, it's the elitism yeah. it's actually everything it's a new that form I, of elitism it's yeah. the same it's the same exact kind of aura of exclusivity that surrounded like trophy wines trophy uh, wines blue chip wines cult yeah. cabernet it, and stuff it's it's just around a different set of values it is and it and it's it's uh under the auspices of oh isn't this fucking cool i'm but it's like how many bottles of like old ravineau can you sit with and yeah. shoot pictures of and it becomes piggish and ostentatious totally. and like you know, most people can't afford that fucking wine right can't find the fucking wine and you're just like it's the bragging rights to it that's yeah. kind of like it's kind of gross yeah it's just a lot of social posturing to, and to be fair i've been totally culpable of that like if you look at my social media feed like on instagram i'm sure there's like plenty of that so you know but how like, much like really i mean i, I mean, mean there are people posting much. you know uh, you know all the time the the, the old shove and the, oh yeah that's super know, it's just like come on or just like, like the 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 um kind of allocated natural wine that you can't find anymore like that you know maybe it's not super expensive but like you're not gonna find it on the shelf i guess like the biggest yeah. thing like the, the biggest emblem of this is like um Auvernois, right like no you're sure like you know i remember buying those now i sound old i'm only like what am I, 36? I haven't been doing this all that long at all. Um, but like buying it at Astor Wines for like 30 bucks. And, yeah. and I have a bottle that I actually brought back from my first trip uh, for wine ever to France. I was in Bordeaux and I saw a 2004 Sauvignon. I think I bought it off of their list and took it home for like 40 euros. And I just saw the same bottle at auction for like $600 or $500. It's like, what is going on? Yeah, and those wines are great, but like they're not worth 600 bucks. I mean, yeah. maybe to some people they are, but if you're not buying that wine because like, there's not another wine that's as good for like you know what I mean like you're buying it just so that you can post a picture of an Instagram and say look what I have I've have the, I have this dream where I invite a bunch of um, master sommeliers down or like top top notch psalms and in the the room I close off and we do a blind tasting and I mix in like uh, Rouleau and all these like you know unicorn wines like you said yeah. and I mix them up with everybody and I have everybody just rate and I would just love to see the scores because. I know how it would go. And I'm not saying that Rouleau's bad. It's not bad. It's an amazing wine. But man, these things just get put on pedestals and you're like... Yeah, well, like, so I also, like, a lot of these wines used to be accessible. Like, even first, um, like, first growth Bordeaux, right? Like, Like, there was a time when you could reasonably, even with, like, a middle to upper middle class income, like, buy those wines for a special occasion and drink them, right? Mm -hmm. And, like... Right. That's just not. And now that's just astronomical. Everything. And it's become this 1% elite yeah. thing where you're like, just quit fucking bragging. But it's know. like, it's trickled down. Like, it's like good Beaujolais now is like 40 or $50 a bottle. I know. Like, that's crazy. So, yeah. So 10 years ago, you couldn't give the shit away. Yeah. And now it's, it's allocated. It's allocated. Or, and people are posting, you know, uh, Instagram shots right. and, and I'm doing it too, to be yeah. fair. But, um, <laughs> right. I mean, I always think like the person who got me into wine is um, a big shout out to Mark Friedman in Princeton, New Jersey, my dad's oldest friend. Wow. Um, he was like the original wine hipster. Oh, that's um, fucking cool. Yeah. Like he would come over to, for like Thanksgiving in the 90s and he would have like Sang de Caillou, Vaqueras. He would have oh, wow. like Foyard or like La Pierre. He would have Beaujolais, like he introduced me to Beaujolais. He was drinking like Jurançon and. Um, oh, somebody taught you well. Yeah, no, like, you know, and the thing is, like, he, he like he knows French wine. French wine was this thing because when he was learning about wine when he was my age, like, that's just yeah. what great wine was. Right. Um, but now, like, you know, like, I talked to him and, like, he would buy, like, 
uh, Chateau Fijac for nothing. That was like the house wine. And then it became something, some other lesser Bordeaux. And then it became Montus. And like at a certain point, like he's just like, there's nothing that I really like feel like it's worth it anymore so yeah. he, he just drinks like simple um you know fan de table fan de table from france and it's like it's happy and then sometimes we'll splurge but like yeah it's 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 hard to like it you is, know what i mean it is i think what's going to happen uh because of the pricing and now with this tariffs looming yeah. we'll have to dig deeper um but it's like we, we'll how much find. deeper do we have to like, we were digging so deep right yeah, like, but, but truthfully like portugal like five years yeah. ago the only way anyone ever bought portuguese wines five years ago was if it was four dollars a bottle, right? Yeah, so now there's a certain relevance to it, and people are beginning to understand the quality because we've had this period now where we're drinking better wine, and now you taste that blind or at a store, and you go, "Hey, shit, that's as good as what I was drinking, and it's cheaper." Right. I say, I think that's um, so. Certain wines will just be priced like for what they actually should be quality-wise, and then right. a lot of wines will just be priced out of the market. Right. And these these tariffs, as we said, are just going to be crushing. I feel for companies that are uh, hinged to 100% uh, imports. Uh, they're the ones that are going to feel it uh, if it happens. And um, it's sad. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I just wrote this book about the diverse world of wine that we're living in. And like my personal fear is that by the time the book comes out, none of those wines will be around anymore. You'll have to market. quickly write a, uh, uh, another like, well, you can't put a chapter in, but you know, like yeah, a follow-up. Like, or something. Like right. certainly the... Um, like the the price per bottle kind of guide, you know. Hopefully, hopefully it will still be accurate. So, are you going to Ladive, which we've talked about, which is this famous show in Loire Valley? Yep. Are you going to that? I'm not because I have a I have a day job. I work uh, in the creative writing program at NYU. Ah, so um, you teach or you? I manage the graduate program there. So uh-huh. yeah, um, yep. Okay. So it, you know, I can really only travel in the summer, sometimes in the fall, and okay. then over the holidays. Yeah, I've been to the to the Salon de Vin at the same yeah. time and sort of scoped out the div uh, but a number of years ago so i was thinking about uh, yes i've been to the div a couple times it happens the january 25th i think this year which i'm not going i'm going somewhere else but uh, i thought uh, if the tariffs go into effect and you're an american in lower valley and in lower valley is home to all these small little farmers who are going to be just devastated it's the perfect time to pretend you're canadian (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like bring your labats. I don't know what you do, but like well, I think the past three or four years have been the perfect time to pretend you're Canadian. And yeah, like we don't have to go there right now, but um. uh, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty bad. Let's let's hope they don't pass because yes, uh, I feel for all my uh, my good friends who will be unemployed. Uh, thankfully, I'll still have a job. Um, so people always come listen to this show to get. Uh, great places to drink and eat do you want to make a few recommendations of like i'm not the guy to ask have you been to olmstead i was just about to say olmstead i swear to god we had you're syncing up with that's so weird 150 year old vines in the homestead yeah yeah yeah, no like i was literally about to say olmstead um so we were married what like three years ago um but never did a wedding Mm -hmm. um and so we just had like our two-year anniversary party wedding and had it at olmstead and like that place is amazing and a shout out to zwan gray is the uh, beverage director there right cool wine list the food's awesome like yeah i was actually going to say olmstead that's really funny that's crazy because i I've, I've been there with my wife it's uh, it's one of the coolest spots yeah. in brooklyn the food is off the chart i haven't been to the four horsemen that's my next that's a good one fausto yeah. too um, oh yeah that's Fausto's uh, great like yeah. especially the um the older amari like the older bitters the vermouth and amaro mm. um like super cool to drink the vintage stuff they have on the list at really affordable prices you a cocktail guy 
I'm becoming one. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't really, um, but I, but I, more and more, I'm, be, I'm definitely becoming one. Like I got interested in spirits, and then once you get interested in spirits, you, you start to get interested in cocktails. Yeah. Yeah, I fall in love with mezcal. Yeah, these I mean, tall, it's like the most terroir-driven. Oh, oh my god, they're so. And like a big obsession of mine recently has been um, eau de vie, um, oh, like okay. schnapps from Austria, uh, right. fruit brandies. Like love Calvados too, obviously, but um, old Calvados is. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, stuff from Austria, um, like love, love good. I mean, it's just you, you get a sense of the fruit and the purity, and they're kind of terroir driven. Like that's that's been an okay. interesting thing. Recently. So, so we'll we'll switch from yeah. food, wine to literature. So, who should people be looking for? New writers that you've discovered that you love. A what? book that I think everybody should read. That's go. a food Perfect. and wine related book is oh. Between Meals by A.J. Liebling. I don't know if you know him. I know the name. Yeah, so right. he's a fascinating guy. He was um, a New Yorker writer in like the 30s and the 40s. Oh, shit. Um, and he was like a notorious um, food and wine lover and Francophile and glutton, like super glutton. Right. Um, and so he, towards the end of his life, um, I think it was his last book, um, wrote his like Young Man in Paris memoir. And he was there in like the 20s at the same time that like Hemingway and all those people were you know, doing what they were doing and creating modernism and labeling. He was just eating a lot. Right. Um, and so just diaries full of like, you know, uh, you know b blood pudding and, and calf's liver and yeah, but uh, like the, awful and all that stuff. But like the, the central premise is that in order to learn how to eat and drink well, you have to be sensible of value and of cost. And like he says, you know, a rich man is, is destined to be a dilettante at the table because if you only ever drink and eat the best of things, you never get to know like how much, how great tripe is. Like there's this one scene, not a scene, but a, like a, a chapter or like a little um, passage in the book where, you know, he, he has, he's on a student's budget. He's, just get, he's getting an allowance right. uh, from his dad, who is like a Fourier in New York who's sending money overseas, <clears throat> whatever. Um, and he had enough money either to get I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like he could get like the the, the filet or like the regular tavel, right. or he could afford the tavel superior, and he'd have to get like a lesser cut of meat. And because he was forced to make a decision, he realized that actually like the lesser cut of meat was more tasty than the filet, so he could get that lesser cut. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was like entrecote or something, right. and the better wine. And that was the way his money was well spent. Yeah. But if you had enough money to get the quote-unquote best of both, you, you, you just become ignorant. You ign remain ignorant to like all this you know, other, other stuff. Well, we've, we've said yeah. many times on this show that some of the best food in the world has come out of like the peasants. And the best wine. Who are, who are, who are suffering, right. And, and yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, that's cool. What's the name of the book again? Between Meals. I mean, that's just like one kind of premise of the book. Okay. Honestly, like it's one of my favorite books of all time. He's an incredible writer. Um, yeah, like that. That's that's an, that's a book that everybody who's interested in food and wine yeah. I would recommend too. I, yeah, I love like all the all, like you can go online and look at the old menus that the, what they served on the Titanic, yep. uh, what they served these great celebrations during the twenties and thirties, and they talk a lot about oysters and there's such a beautiful culinary history attached to food, and a lot of it comes out of just poor. I mean, lobster was uh, served to prisoners and there'd be like riots uh, because they were eating the, the cockroaches of the sea. That's and what now, they are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. And like, look at where it's elevated. And, you know, and I love like this, the, like oysters across all barriers, poor, really wealthy oysters were loved and always like worshipped. And thank God, because I still love them. Um, Me too. But uh, so I want to send people to your website. So let's mention that again. 
Okay, sure. Um, has been updated in a little while because I've been just writing this book. Okay. Um, ZacharySussmanWine.com. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, on that is most of your articles that you have written for Punch. And yep. I mean, it's great, great articles about Lorouette. I mean, oh, uh, the beer, beer yeah. and like uh, uh, Zach has a love of beer that you should read this article. Um, it's pretty comprehensive and uh, it, it's a good place to start uh, getting your uh, food and wine chops on, your beverage chops on. So, That's very kind. You can, uh, you can find it all on Punch, too. Okay, yeah. great. And uh, I want to thank you for being on Drinking on the Job. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. 